Okay, we are glad to see you today and have you as a part of our service. Uh, we're continuing our series, Life on Mission, uh, which we began several weeks ago. First week we talked about connecting, making connections, establishing relationships. Second week we talked about uh, serving uh, our neighbors and people around us, people that we have relationships with. Um, last week we talked about sharing. Today we're going to talk about growing and next week will be the final message in this series, and it's going to deal with prayer and how it relates to our life on mission. Now, we have a picture. Okay, what do you think? All right. What if I told you that she's five years old? Then what would you think? Something's wrong. She's not growing. She's not developing. I want you to hold that thought. If you want transformation in any part of your life, there is going to be training, which is going to bring about growth, and that's going to be a major part of it. John Ortberg, some of you will recognize his name. He's a Christian author and uh, writer of books and small group materials. As a matter of fact, many of our life groups have used uh, some of his studies. He tells this story, and I quote, he says, One night, years ago, my wife Nancy brought home a video. It was a Sylvester Stallone video called Cliffhanger. It takes place in the mountains. People are climbing mountains in real cold weather. They're all wearing parkas and heavy jackets, except for Sylvester Stallone, who can't seem to keep his shirt on. All through this movie, five or six times, his shirt is off. He's dangling from a rope. He has huge biceps and triceps that are bulging and rippling right off the screen. My wife, who got the video, is looking at him, and she turned over and looked at me. Looked at him. Looked at me. Looked at him. Looked at me again. Shook her head, and then she said, You know, I've just never been attracted to well-built men. John said, And I searched for the compliment that I knew was lurking somewhere down beneath the surface, but I never could find it. The truth is, the idea of a well-built man is really just a bunch of baloney. At age 20, maybe there are some men and women who have naturally well-built bodies, but it doesn't last long, if you got it in the first place, unless you work out. You aren't really well-built. Then you become well-trained. Stallone looked a little different in Rocky than he did in Cliffhanger. Of course, we all know he did more than just work out. He was well-trained and well-injected. But that's beside the point. Nobody wakes up with bigger biceps. Nobody wakes up one day and runs a marathon. 
How many people in this room, I want to see your hand, so give some serious thought to this, could go out today and run, not walk, but run a marathon? How many of you could do that? I thought we might have one or two people, but okay. All right, no takers. Um, How many of you think you could run a marathon eventually if you train? Okay. I have some takers. Okay. Uh, Now, I know some of you think, wow, that's just stupid. You know, who wants to run at all, let alone 26.2 miles? Um, Besides, you know, if God had wanted us to run, he would have given us legs. Well, most people in this room would be able, even more than those of you who raised your hands, to run a marathon if you trained. Uh, But you see, there's a big difference in training and trying. Perhaps you or your children had an interest in playing a musical instrument, maybe when you were younger. When first starting out, you remember, it's horrible. If you don't believe me, buy your son a set of drums. In the beginning, it will feel like torture. You can't insulate your house enough to silence those drums. Because if you can't hear it, you can feel it. You know, the whole house will vibrate. Eventually, your musicians, however, in training will get good because of their training. But up front, this is a real challenge for anyone. Well, spiritual training will naturally lead to spiritual truth. I want you to remember this principle. Okay, why train? Why would you want to grow? Well, basically, because in Christianity, uh, there are no options. Romans 8, the first part of verse 29 reads, "For For from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him, and all along he knew who would, should become like his son. You don't start out that way but it's God's will that you become like that, that you, you get that way. You either grow in your spiritual walk or spiritual atrophy sets in. As a living organism, if you aren't growing, then you're dying because your body is reproducing new cells all the time. Now, when it comes to Christianity, comes to Jesus, many people today are looking for a get-out-of-hell-free card So they're willing to accept Jesus as Savior, but they aren't interested in him being Lord of their lives, in growing to become more like Jesus through discipleship. Now, the verse I read at the beginning of the service, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. It's time for us to stop being babies. Hebrews 5, beginning with verse 11. There's much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Now, this is way back close to the beginning of the church, but it's still true today. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things 
about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Now there is only one way to bear fruit as a Christian. Growing in Jesus means bearing fruit. John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, we understand this because we live in apple country. And so every spring, early spring, the orchardists will send out their workers, and they'll prune the apple trees, and they really look strange. Um, uh, of course, no leaves. They really look naked and strange. And uh, you would think, hey, they're cutting away part of the tree. That's going to reduce uh, the volume of the crop, but it does not. It, it makes larger apples, and the trees actually produce more apples. Okay, verse 13, or verse 3. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So the closer we are to Jesus, uh, the better and more fruit we will produce. Uh, we, are, uh, we, we have to be connected to the vine in order to produce fruit. I mean, just as Jesus said, if you're cut off from the vine, you die uh, as a branch. Okay, so is the fruit that he's talking about, is this fruit of the Spirit that we read about in the epistles? Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. Is it that? Or is this fruit the fruit of reproduction? Uh, this is our mission, is to reproduce other Christians. Uh, all fruit that exists has seeds for the express purpose of reproduction. Well, clearly, I think Jesus is talking about both. You see, one is internal, it's what goes on inside of us, while the other is external. The fruit of a spirit-filled life will naturally make those people who are around you want to get in on it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, in the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, 12, Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. 
bottom line is we have to grow. As we grow to become more like Jesus, people are going to naturally notice how it's affected our lives, how it's, how it's changed us. If they see Jesus, they will want to be with God. When they see that Jesus is loving, merciful, holy, just, forgiving, becoming a sin sacrifice for us all, they're going to want to see the Father because he claims that he is like the Father. So they're going to want to see the Father. Non-Christ-like behavior is not going to point anyone to Jesus. If your behavior is not WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? Behavior. People who see you will not want to become like Jesus. Not if you're a sample of what Jesus is. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, we have what's known as the Great Commission. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, and he says, the scripture says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he gives the command. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is our mission. We are specifically instructed to make disciples of all people all across the world. So, why aren't more Christians interested in growing? Why is it that so many people are satisfied with themselves the way they are? Well, one response may be that people are busy. I talk to people, I'm busy. I talk to people that seem to be busier than I am. All of us seem to be busy. But you know what? People have always been busy. Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, but Lord, first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now here's a general principle in life. Whatever you give attention to is going to grow. Wherever you focus, that's going to flourish in your life. Now, be it your garden, be it your kids, be it your marriage, or work. Sorry, guys, there's one exception. Your hair. doesn't matter how much attention you give to it. It's probably not going to grow back. People don't really believe that Jesus is worth following. Do you really trust that Jesus knows the best way? Do you really believe that Jesus knows more about anything 
than you or anyone else knows. There are constant scientific and intelligence challenges to Jesus and things that he has said. Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3 says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom, that is in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus and Satan had an argument as to who was the better programmer. They finally came to an agreement to hold a contest with God as the judge. They set themselves before their computers and began. They typed furiously lines of code streaming up the screen for several hours straight. Seconds before the end of the competition, a bolt of lightning struck, taking out the electricity. Moments later, the power came back on. It was restored. And God announced that the contest was over. He asked Satan to show what he had come with, come up with. And Satan was visibly upset and cried, I have nothing. I lost it all when the power went out. Very well then, said God. Let's see if Jesus fared any better. Jesus entered a command. The screen came to life in vivid display. The voices of an angelic choir poured forth from the speakers. Satan was astonished. He stuttered, but, but how? I lost everything, yet Jesus' program is intact. How did he do it? God chuckled. Everybody knows. Jesus saves. <laughs> I take it some of you had not heard that before. Well, I hadn't either. It was new to me. Now, that is a dumb old joke. Um, I never thought of Jesus as a programmer before. Uh, but, of course, you put him in that role, he could do it. Uh, he invented numbers. He designed our brains. And, of course, the technology had not been discovered yet, but, but he created the principles that go into technology and made it available for discovery. It just takes us a long time to get around to figuring it all out. Now, the earliest thought of Jesus was back up in verse 3 there in Colossians that we just read, which says, In whom, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, another reason that Christians don't uh, do well um, and aren't interested in growing is um, they don't have a trainer. How, how do you train without a trainer? Well, the number one problem with the way our mission in the church is happening today is that we're missing out on the whole relationship part of the equation Luke chapter 6, verse nine, or 39 from the Phillips translation says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but when he is fully trained, listen to this, he will be like 
his teacher. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse uh, 7, the last part of the verse in verse 8, says, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, in God's original design, you see, having a relationship is necessary. Some people believe having a relationship with people is, uh, is optional in helping people to find Jesus, but you don't walk up to a stranger on the street and try to introduce him to Jesus, try to convert him to Jesus. While others believe that having a relationship is optional after someone discovers Jesus, so they, they make their decision to accept Jesus um, as Savior, and in the church, we just, you know, we just let them go. We just ignore them. That relates to our picture of the little baby the, on the first slide. You know, people who come to Christ have got to grow. And so we are responsible to be a part uh, of that formula to help them, to help them grow and help them uh, learn more about Jesus. Now, certainly there are times when God lines us up, brings us together with certain people like he did Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, in our case, it might be somebody that we sit beside on a plane or a random conversation that we have in a coffee shop uh, or someone walking down the aisle at invitation time at the end of the service. But even in those situations, there's never an excuse for bringing someone to Jesus and then leaving them there on their own. This is why the mandate that Jesus gave us was to make disciples and not make converts. The word Christian is only used three times in the Bible. The word disciple is used 269 times. It means a learner, a pupil, literally an apprentice. Now, an apprentice is someone who's supposed to be learning from someone who knows what they need to know. Obviously, we are all supposed to be disciples of Jesus because the instruction in the Great Commission was to teach them, that's all the, their converts, to observe all that Jesus commanded. Now, it is possible to be a disciple or to become a disciple by reading about Jesus, about additionally going to him in prayer, but the best and most thorough way to learn is with a trainer. Now, you can make progress on your own, but guys, you are not going to look like Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger, unless you utilize a trainer. Ladies, likewise, you're probably not going to look like a model or one of those ladies on diet and exercise equipment commercials unless you utilize a trainer. Make dis making disciples is like making children. You can't just make babies and leave them to fend for themselves. What will happen? They die. That's what happens with, with people who are brought to Christ. If we leave them by themselves, they eventually will die. Um, now, 
perhaps you're thinking, well, I could never train anybody. Maybe you weren't trained. Coming to church periodically to get a brief sermon workout, leaving and doing nothing else to train to be like your master doesn't get it. You're not going to grow like that. Training others will help you grow. If you're training someone else, it means that you at least have to go to the gym. That's where you're going to meet them. That's where you're going to train them. You're going to be surrounding yourself on the spiritual side. You're going to train somebody who's, who's new in Christ. Uh, you're going to surround yourself with the Word of God. You're going to surround yourself with prayer. And you're going to surround yourself with other believers so that you can grow. If you're training someone else, you will have to do that in order to stay a step ahead of them. Nothing makes us grow up in life more than having a kid. Now, do you remember when you were a teenager, young adult, before you got married, footloose and fancy free? You didn't have to be totally mature. It wasn't necessary. But having a child changes everything. Then you have to settle down. Then you have to give attention to this child. Training someone else will drive you to the Word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Okay, here's the process. What you've learned from someone else, you train an additional person. They train yet another. And so you see, the gospel was intended to uh, be perpetuated to the end of the world. Church wasn't going to stop. Church is going to march on all the way to the end. Romans 1, verse 12 says, When we get together... I want to encourage you and your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. It's a reciprocal thing. It goes back and forth. Jesus used the on-the-job training method rather than the educational method with his disciples. Yeah, he, he didn't teach them the answers to all the questions that people were going to ask them in life. He took them out and showed them by example. Okay, so what are you going to do? Well, how about hosting uh, a life group or facilitating a life group? That's a good place to be an influence, to train, help train other people, to be trained. Uh, hang out at Starbucks. You know, you, you don't have to just drink coffee. You know, you can do other things. People, people do work there. They take their computers there. They do work. Uh, they visit. They establish relationships. That's what I'm talking about. Create relationships and training disciples of Jesus to grow and become more like Jesus. Ken Blanchard. Some of you will recognize his name. He's perhaps most famous for his book, One Minute Manager. Uh, considered by many to be a leadership guru, he spoke at the Willow, Willow Creek Leadership Conference in Chicago several years ago. Now, this is a conference that takes place every year. Um, 
put on by Willow Creek, and Bill Hybels is the pastor there. It's one of the largest churches in the United States. Well, the day Ken spoke was the same day that Bill Hybels, the pastor, interviewed the president, then president of the United States, Bill Clinton. It caught the attention of media because it was the first time that Clinton had spoken publicly of his affair with Monica Lewinsky. Hybels asked him a lot of different questions. One of the questions was about his interest in leadership. When he was asked who his role model was, Clinton, President Clinton, didn't hesitate. He said John F. Kennedy. After the interview had ended, the president got on a plane, flew back to D.C. from Chicago. Ken Blanchard was the next speaker on the program. He said, I don't mean any disrespect to the office of the presidency, but President Clinton just blew it. Here he is speaking to 4,000 church leaders. And when asked what leader had the biggest influence on his leadership life, he doesn't even mention Jesus. From a political perspective, he missed a golden opportunity. He told the group, what he told the group was an indictment on their preaching and their teaching. Bill Clinton had been sitting in their pews, not specifically theirs, but literally, for nearly 50 years. He said to them, it's your fault. He closed his address by saying, would things be different in the way Bill Clinton's presidency will be remembered if his hero had been Jesus of Nazareth instead of John F. Kennedy from Massachusetts. Dane Claiborne, in his best-selling book, Irresistible Revolution, begins one of his chapters, and I quote, If you ask most people what Christians believe, they can tell you Christians believe that Jesus is God's Son and that Jesus rose from the dead. But if you ask the average person how Christians live, they're kind of dumbfounded. Christians live pretty much like everybody else. They just sprinkle a little Jesus along the way. We have not shown the world another way of doing life. Grow. There are two ways that you can contrib contribute to growth. One's internal. Uh, you can become more like Jesus Expose yourself to the truth of the word. Let it grow in you and make you a new person. You can help train other people by teaching them and leading them to grow. The decision's up to you. It's, it, it has uh, a far-reaching effect. It reaches all the way into eternity. We're going to stand, sing our song of decision. It's an opportunity for you to, to decide for yourself. Let's stand, please, as we sing.